Welcome to the Work Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. It's Denise, and I am excited to have somebody that I have known for a long time and that I love dearly. She is Ebony Beckwith, and she is the Salesforce Chief Business Officer and Chief of Staff to Mark Benioff. And one of her passions is imposter syndrome. And we're going to be talking about that because, as you know, it's one of my favorite topics. So, Ebony, welcome. Thanks, Denise. I'm so happy to be here. And hi, everyone. We are happy to have you. So I just want to clarify that term. I know a lot of people have heard the term imposter syndrome, and it applies mostly to people in high-level positions who feel like they're going to be found out any day to be frauds, like they're not qualified for what they do. But everybody, no matter what your job is, can suffer from chronic self-doubt. We all have self-doubt all the time, but when it gets acute, when it gets chronic, then we start sabotaging our careers. So whether you're suffering from imposter syndrome or self-doubt, whatever it is, you're in the right place. So Ebony, I know that this is a big topic for you. And I know that despite you having this ridiculously huge two jobs, um, you mentor a lot of people on this. So why is this topic such a passion for you? Yeah, Denise, there's so much I could say on this topic. And as you mentioned, you know, mentoring is one of the, my most favorite things that I do. And I often joke that one day I want to be Salesforce's chief mentoring officer, CMO, <laughs> not chief marketing, but chief mentoring officer, because if I could spend all of my time meeting with others, I definitely would. But, you know, how this has come up for me is that in a lot of my mentoring conversations, imposter syndrome comes up so often. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it because like you said, everyone, I mean, everyone, I don't care who you are, what level you are, where you've been, what you've been through, we all struggle with it. It's human nature and we've all experienced it at some point. I think we all have that little voice that can creep in from time to time that tells us we're not good enough or I can't do this or why did I, there's that voice that comes in and, and we gotta shut that down. I mean, for me, I remember when I was just getting started in my career, I would really let that imposter syndrome or that fear that really comes from imposter syndrome hold me back. But, you know, over time I learned with a lot of help from my mentors how to manage it so it doesn't keep me from reaching my goals. And I actually heard something really not too long ago from Mindy Kaling that really helped me. And she said that as women and particularly women of color, the fact that we have so we have to, to work so much harder and have to be so much more prepared it makes it difficult to feel like an imposter because of all the groundwork we had to lay before we even get in the room. So while these feelings of doubt and fear can still creep in for me, rarely do I, I let those thoughts of how did I get here or I don't deserve to be here really weigh me down because I know exactly how I got here. I did the work just like <laughs> everyone else. And I just have to remind myself of that. Right. And then, so let's say you get over imposter syndrome like you did. Then a lot of people suffer from what I call FOMO, which is fear of messing up. And it's just like this fear, unrealistic fear that, oh my God, I can't make a mistake. And if I make a mistake, something terrible is going to happen. And I'm going to tell you, I make like a thousand mistakes a day. I mean, oh, yeah. who doesn't make mistakes? You just, it, and you don't, I don't even call them mistakes. It's just, 
oh, that happened differently than I expected it to. Or it, so what do you, I, so for those who overcome the imposter syndrome, um, what do you see as some of the most self-sabotaging behaviors that people have that just ruin their health or their relationships or their careers because of this fear of making a mistake? And people, we're talking to somebody who works for one of the most famous billionaires in the world, okay? So if anybody would have this fear, it could be Ebony. This could be triggered in you all the time. And that would not be good. Like, so how do you manage it? And what do you see in other women who don't manage this? What happens to them? Or okay, well, women or men. I say women because I mostly work with women. But of course, men <laughs> suffer from this too. Of course, it's, it's everyone. But I have to say, just going back to your FOMO, I... Um, and now refer to myself as having JOMO, joy of missing out. <laughs> so I just have to embrace it. I can't do everything. I'm not going to be great at everything. It's fine. Uh, and it's just a way to reframe it for me. So JOMO, and I've actually found there's a book on it out there somewhere. So go get that if you're interested. Um, but to answer your question, to me, the most damaging part of imposter syndrome or, or that fear of messing up is not the thought itself. And I think that's where people can get confused. We already said it's human nature to have fear, doubt, and insecurity. It's what we do with those thoughts that matters. And, and I don't see mistakes as failures as long as you're learning from them. I'm always asking myself and I'm always asking the people I mentor, did you learn from that mistake? Did I learn from this? Am I stuck? And if you're stuck, that's really where the problem comes in. But something I really like to say, it's better an oops than a what if. Um, and and I, I have a really good example of this, Denise. I often tell the story of my dear, dear friend. I've known her for over 30 years now. Um, she's a former coworker. And, and with her permission, of course, I've told the story. And she dreamed about changing her boring white walls, but she never worked up the courage to try a new color. I even offered to help her pick the color and paint for her, which anybody who knows me knows, I do not offer to paint that, you know. Um, but anyway, she couldn't do it. And the walls are still white to this day. Like 20 years later, the, the walls are still white. And I just equate this with people who are afraid to take risks. It's okay to make a mistake, or in my friend's case, to choose the wrong color. But that nagging feeling day over day, year over year of not loving your wall or your job or your whatever it is, to me is so much worse. And I think it's better <laughs> to do something than to dwell on the shoulda, woulda, coulda. And back to your original question, that's the damaging part. Oh man, I, we, we now have white wall syndrome. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I am going to use that because as you know, and I know I've seen your house, you've seen, you've mm -hmm. seen the inside of mine. So every wall, every ceiling, every inside of my fireplace is a color. Mm -hmm. And it sounds crazy. I know, but people walk into my house and they take a deep breath and it's like they instantly get grounded. Mm -hmm. And it's like being hugged. My house is like this giant it hug is. of, oh of beauty and sumptuous color. <laughs> and and I just think when I moved in, I, I said it looked like like an old Rite Aid. Like it was so bereft of any character. And so it, what if I had lived in an old Rite Aid my whole life? Like, so this is this is what we're talking about. I know we're being silly here, but this is that that is such a good metaphor. Yeah. Because it's like looking back and living your life without color, mm -hmm. living your life in black and white. You got to embrace who you are, embrace where you are, make it you, all of those things. And here is a belief that has helped me that you made me realize. So I have this belief that life happens for me. Mm -hmm. And if I go back in time, like 
you know, in September 29, 2017, on crossing the street, I was hit by a car and my dog was too, right? It was the most painful experience. It was worse than when I broke my back when I was 22. And yet I wouldn't change a thing. I can look back at that moment and what happened afterward and everything is a gift for me. Like, I am so glad that that happened. Mm -hmm. And I, if we look at these things, like you said, what did I learn? What was, and so I would just amp it up and say, what was the gift? Mm-hmm. And you, now you're looking at it with a totally different lens. This, I, don't, I didn't tell you I was gonna ask you this, but you just, it's, it's, it's low hanging fruit here. You just changed jobs, right? You went from a big job as chief philanthropy officer to a new job. I get to talk to a lot of people who change jobs for the wrong reasons, and they change jobs without fixing this chronic self-doubt, thinking that the new job will just solve it for them. <laughs> We're both <Yeah>. laughing. We're <laughs> both laughing. <laughs> and you know what happens. If yeah. you don't fix this before, it only gets worse. Yeah, wherever I go, there I am, right? <laughs> yeah, only now you feel like you have to prove yourself. Right. And so I had a, a woman recently who did this, and. Luckily, she was working with me in, in the interim. This she had like six weeks before she was going to start, and her belief she realized was, I got this job on a fluke, which is not true, but that was her belief. I got this job on a fluke, and I'm just going to hold my breath for three years and pretend I know what I'm doing, so they don't find find me out before I vest. <laughs> yeah, that's actually the opposite <laughs> of how like for me and my new job. I'm like, yeah, I don't know much right now. And I look forward to the day of when it's like, wait, I don't know if it's a week from now, two weeks, a month from now, where I'll look back and go, oh, I know this. I make it, I make it more an, an excitement or an exploration or a journey in learning. And, and that makes it less scary. And I don't have to prove myself or I, cause I can say to my boss and to my colleagues, you know, one, I can ask for help. Two, admitting that you don't know something is actually more powerful because most people know when you don't know and you're making stuff up and you're just trying to hold on. So let, I, I usually say, well, let me check and get back to you. I'm not sure. Let me check and get back to you or I'll find that information. And, and I think that makes you a more trusted employee, business partner, manager, just to admit that you, you don't know what you don't know. If everybody did that in corporate America, um, we would eliminate so much stress. Oh, my gosh. Because everybody's going around pretending they know what they don't know, mm-hmm. and thinking also, their head, thinking that every, thinking that everybody else in the room knows what's going on. Yes. Nobody knows. <laughs> if you yes. have a question, ten other people have a question. Exactly. I just had a woman who was completely suffering from imposter syndrome, and then she made the switch and did what you what you just said. And she's you know a woman in this very male dominated industry, um, and they put her in a role where she was completely new to this role. And so she just decided, you know what? I don't understand that acronym. I'm just going to ask because now she had confidence and she would ask. And turns out um, most of the guys around the table didn't know what it meant either. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up thanking her for asking the question. So, okay. So everybody just told you, um, please just say, I'm not sure. Let me check. And also like when, the tendency for somebody like, let's say, Mark Benioff asks you a bunch of questions. A lot of people would go and then research all of those questions. And meanwhile, 
He was just curious. Right. <laughs> you, know, like, you just spent your weekend researching shit right. that he doesn't care about. He come back on Monday morning with this report and he's like, you did that on the weekend? Like, what? No, I was just curious. So ask what, which of these is important to you? Which, which of these would you like me to go and research? Like, um, because they're just having a conversation with you. They're not trying to ruin your weekend for the, the most right. part. That's right. Right. I tell my team that all the time, like ask for clarity, ask more questions. It's totally fine. Sometimes I'm just spouting stuff off to get it off my plate. Not urgent, not important. I'm just talking, you know, and it's their job to come back and go, hey, I'm actually doing X, Y, Z, or actually you weren't, you weren't very clear. And I appreciate that, yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. That is not your manager's job to say everything perfectly. Please right. give them a break. <laughs> Please let them be human and please tell them when you're confused because it, it is such a gift. Yes, it, 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 that, it is a gift. It really is. That is the shift that makes so many people's lives different is when they stop thinking they have to be the expert and they have to have all the answers to being genuinely curious. And yeah. then it doesn't matter if you're new. It doesn't matter if you know nothing. If you are that person, the executive is going to want to be having conversations with you and not that person who right. won't be real with you and won't tell you when they're confused. And you will add so much more value because of your curiosity. Oh my gosh, Denise, I just bought two shirts. They say the exact same thing. Um, one for me, one for a friend. Radically curious is what it says on the front of the shirt. Nice. And that's what I want to be. I want to be radically curious. Yes. Yes. And, and that we helps can... combat the fear, right? Instead yes. of being, I'm, I'm afraid of this. It's like, actually, I'm curious, you know, oh, I want to know. It, and it helps again, for me, it's that, it's that little shift that's so powerful that, that can go, that takes me from anxiety to curiosity. That's a powerful shift that you can make for yourself. Oh, oh. no, I'm not afraid. I'm curious. Oh, okay. I'm curious then. <laughs> it is so life-changing. I just worked with a woman, um, the head of her department, and she had this belief she didn't even realize she had that if anybody was upset, she must have done something wrong. Mm, yep. And not only that, but she should have predicted that people were going to get upset and not done the thing that she did wrong, that she doesn't even know that she did wrong ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> it's extreme perfectionism. Oh my and gosh. What she realized when she shifted to curiosity was, oh, it's not about me at all. Mm -hmm. And she started to wonder, I wonder what is up with him. I wonder what pain he's in. I wonder, you know, and just like, maybe she's not going to ask him if he had a fight with his wife, but she's starting to wonder now, like, yeah. what's going on for this person? And when you go into that space, you ask really freaking good questions because you're calm and it's not about you anymore. Okay, that's, that's really hard too, Denise, because, you know, human nature, we're self-centered, you know, we're self-centered people. We're thinking about ourselves all day long. And that's one thing I remind people too. It's like, that person isn't thinking about you. He's thinking about himself, you know? Um, so wh why take that on? Why take on that stress and that energy, you know, um, let it go. Why take it on? You're right. And it's, it is because of our nature, our brains, our brains don't care if everybody else survives. They just want us to survive. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Just be the last person on the planet. That's, that's what right. I want. My, that's what my brain wants me to do. And really, it's not a good strategy. So if you just go with your brain's default fear-based strategy, you're not going to win this game of life. Not it's not going to You will not be winning. I agree. Okay. So a lot of, when a lot of people don't fix this and do go with the fear, 
So that woman I was just talking about, um, she had an autoimmune disorder. She had acute back pain, um, heart palpitations. This is, this is just what people come to me with because your body can't handle all of that stress. It has to go somewhere. So it becomes inflammation in the body if it doesn't. So what, what do you do with these, you know, this big job you have, what do you do to take care of your health? Your physical health because being a leader and being a even just a corporate person at any level is a full body sport <laughs> it's like contact sport <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you know for me i really do try to anybody knows me knows that i i love a good routine um and i do try to take care of myself like in the morning i do i, I try to eat breakfast um i do quiet time i do journaling I take time for myself. I, you know, yesterday, for example, I had a, um, a meeting cancel and I had about a good 45 minutes where I could take a, a power nap during the middle of the day. Those types of things recharge and refuel me. Um, I, I, I try to get as much sleep as I can because I know it's so important for me to get a good night's sleep. And, and I used to you kind of do it the reverse. Like if my boss saw me up and working and sending emails and text messages at 1 a.m., I would be the best worker and I would get a raise and a promotion because I was always on. And that is just not true anymore. We've got to get rid of that mentality of, you know, I, I have to be on all the time. Really taking care of yourself is, is the way to go. And, and it shows balance as an employee, as a, as a leader. Oh man, I'm so glad that was your answer because otherwise this could have been really awkward. <laughs> I do nothing. <laughs> I'd be like, Ebony, we need to talk after this, okay? Um, but so many Interview people are not canceled. doing that. Yeah. So, so I, I have this term I call strategic laziness. Mm. And I love it because it's provocative because, I mean, none of the people that we know are lazy, right? But um, it feels like we're being lazy if we don't work as hard as everybody else, or if yeah. we take a, a power nap. Did you hear that everybody? 45 minute power nap. So I, I lost the ability to nap. I used to be a really great napper, but after I had my daughter, my, my body stopped napping, but I use a brain um, wave thing from a company called Centerpoint, And it puts me into a nap state for 19 minutes and it freaking works. So I know 19 minutes, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to come out a new person. Oh, wow. Yeah, Send me awesome. that. I'll put it in the, I'll put it in the notes section of this. Okay. Um, I also have a friend that I um, met at a conference a few months ago and he has a sound. I'll, I'll put this in the notes as well. Um, he has, he's a hypnotist, neuro-linguistic expert. And anyways, I told him I can't be hypnotized. He said, Denise, you're just stubborn. Anybody can be hypnotized. I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> so I let go of my stubbornness, my control, and I, I let his voice into my head. And that's another way I can get to sleep really easily. So I don't know how much sleep everybody needs, but everybody needs between six and nine hours. And then you can't go all day. You need 10 hours of rest. This is just science. It's been proven or your body's going to break down. So do whatever you got to do. Um, so yeah, we all have meetings get canceled during the day, right? And then most people don't go on a walk or don't take a power nap, but this is the invitation is you're going to break eventually if you don't take care of your body. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And I put my phone on silent and it's a, and it's risky, right? Like, you know, oh my gosh, what if my boss texts me in that 45 minutes? 
can he wait? What's more important, you know, that I get the rest that I need so that I can go for another few hours and be strong if I'm exhausted, like, or me delaying for a few minutes. It's the, the likelihood of that happening is slim to none, but what can happen is I have to be on, I have to be on, I have to be on. And it is so stressful. And I think that just compounds onto everything else we're dealing with, the stress, the anxiety, the fear, the doubt. Yeah. And I think that's a good point. You need to also then prime your state, your key stakeholders Yeah. to say, I'm not available 24 seven. So let's talk about the agreements. Let's talk about when I'm available, how long I'll get back to you. I mean, like, would, if we're sitting on the toilet, will we pick up the phone? No, there are times when we are not available. Exactly. So just decide what those times are and have agreements. And I mean, most human beings will agree and because they, they want you, they want to be treated the same way. They right. want to sleep too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So once you prime people to know that, Hey, I'm here for you. And here's when I'm not, and I'll get back to you. Right. And that's what's going on. Most people don't have a problem with it. No. And if they do, maybe you're in the wrong job. Maybe. You're in the wrong job. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I want to I ask you something because you have this amazing series on LinkedIn where you interview just the most amazing people. You interview uh, sports heroes and movie stars and chief officers all around the globe. And they are so real with you. And I just wonder, what is what are some of the themes that really surprised you the most that you see coming out. And just to remind people that, you know, even these heroes that you have, they're just normal human beings. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's, you, you just hit the nail on the head. I think it's a common misconception that as leaders, we have it all figured out, but we don't. <laughs> and that's the biggest aha. And I've loved how real our guests have gotten and sharing their experiences because their stories are just really relatable. We've all struggled, we've all made mistakes. We've all had to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off at one point or another, and we're still here. And in many ways, I think we're better for it because of those experiences. And my goal with Boss Talks and my written series, Boss Notes, is really to share what I've learned throughout my career journey to help people navigate it on their own. Because I don't think anybody's path looks the same. No two paths looks the same. And I've loved having some of these leaders and people I admire share what they've learned too, so that their leaders can see themselves represented. And I think that this series really demystifies how leaders are born and how they think. Like there's no, there's no magic bullet, you know? Uh, and really, I hope that the advice that we share is empowering and shows people what's possible for themselves. I definitely think so. It's so, so much fun. <laughs> are we going to have a picture of you wearing the radical curiosity? Um, <laughs> I should. I should. <laughs> yeah, I would like that. I would like that. Um, and I'm going to allow that I should because um, it was very enthusiastic. I should. Um, but it just reminds me that this this word should is such a cue. If, if, if people can get aware of when they tell themselves they should have done something different or or somebody else should be doing something different, that's when you create resentment in your body. And when you, the other one, the first one is when you create guilt in your body. Um, so it's not that I'm against shoulds in general because some, some of them are exuberant or some of them are just factual. Like, oh yeah, it should rain today according to the weather. <laughs> but it's just one of those words that when you say it, you instantly know that you are letting your brain, your fear-based brain take control and you're trying to change reality, trying to change something that happened. And like you said, every path is different. Mm -hmm. So if you look at your path as, hey, that happened, 
interesting. Isn't that fascinating? Huh? I wonder what the gift will be in that. Mm-hmm. Or in your case, you know, instead of I should know more, I should know my job like that. Well, that's just insanity. Of course, you can't know know your job yet. Mm-hmm. You just started it. <laughs> but like the the much more healthy belief you have is like I'm learning along the way, and one day I'm going to look back and say, oh, I didn't know that now, and I know that. That's exciting to me. That's the exciting part of the journey. Yeah, because not learning is very not exciting. No, it's boring, right? (laughs) (laughs) So there's your comfort zone, which we all have our routines to help us have some kind of comfort zone, right? And then we have our growth zone, which is the exciting, fun part. And then there's the panic zone. (laughs) (laughs) You know you're in the panic zone when you're saying things like, oh, I shouldn't have done it that way. I should know better than this. And then you're in constant fear all the time. Your brain is what puts you into the panic zone. Sometimes it can be a dangerous place. <laughs> or for me, I used to literally, when I was young, I used to have nightmares that I was um, an uh, actuary, that I woke up and I was like, my job was to be an actuary. And like, math is my, my kryptonite. <laughs> How did you even know what an actuary was? That's what I'm wondering right now. I don't know. I don't know. I must have had somebody's father, friend's father, so it'd be an actuary. Just thought I would be so terrible at that. Like that would be my nightmare. That like I doubled down on my strengths. Which like I'm, I'm just not. Or maybe I don't know. Is it Oracle when I started in finance? And of course, I had a French degree. I did not belong there at all. But um, they had me take an accounting class, and that just made me realize that just confirmed that Denise should not be an accountant for that. <laughs> So there is that. If you're not playing to your strengths, you will go into the panic zone. And that's something we need to look at. All right. So let's, this is, I want to do a scale of one to 10 with you. So scale of the one is the people who are in such chronic self-doubt where they're just paralyzed by fear. They can't speak the truth to anybody. They can't admit they don't know something. Um, They're waking up at 3 a.m. anxious Uh, worried or they spend their whole weekends planning for an executive call the next day or, you know, executive PowerPoint presentation. And they're just consumed with this stress. That's a one. And it's, it's sad how many people are there. So people, if you're there, you're not alone. And then a 10, a 10 is not fearless. We're never going to be fearless, but at a 10, you notice your fear immediately and then you can shift it. Mm -hmm with a phrase and then a state change. And then you feel better almost instantly in less than five seconds and you can take better action. Now, very few of us have moments of 10, but that's the scale. Mm-hmm. When you think of, before you learned all this at your worst, where would you put yourself? Oh, and then- definitely a one. I'd be <laughs> lying. I'd be like, can I do negative five? <laughs> <laughs> what would negative look like? What would you add to oh, it? Oh <laughs> my gosh. I mean, it, you know, you talked about feeling lazy, just like it would, it would, my fear would paralyze me to being on the couch. I'd know what I have to do. I'd be sitting couch or bed with covers overhead, like just obsessing of what I need to do. And I couldn't, I couldn't move myself. Yeah. I mean, I remember it clearly. I can, it's a visceral thing. Like it was not a fun place to be in. Very painful. Do you remember what got you out of it? Well, well, eventually you have to do something. And what, what ended up happening was that procrastination turned into being a last minute person 
Um, and I didn't like that either. I mean, I'm good at doing things last minute, but it's just that, that what it produced in my body was, was not great for me. Um, but I, I would have to, right. So I'd have to do things at three o'clock in the morning or wake up super early to get things done because I hadn't taken any action. Um, but I don't, I don't like to stay in that mindset for too long. You know, that was a long time ago and I had to learn how to shift myself. I actually got mentors and coaches who were able to help me see when I was stuck. I actually had one of my mentors, she used to say to me, you're a pig in the mud right now, Ebony. Uh, are you willing to shift? And back in those early days, sometimes it, the honest answer to her was no. And she'd be like, yeah. all right, well, call me back when you're ready. And I'd be like, wait, you're just not going to talk to me? It's like, no, you're, there's nothing I can do to help you right now. Right. And so like, so I have this, you know, her voice in the, in the back of my head going, all right, are you, you know, you're a pig in the mud right now. When are you going to shift this? Yeah. That was a brilliant question she asked you. Because if somebody is not coachable in that moment, then all you can do is love on them. Mm -hmm. They're not ready. And, and I would, I, I might shift mud to swap because, or, or quicksand mm. because it just feels like we're getting sucked in and that's, what's going to happen. And it's not until like that, your, your nose is right at the top of the quicksand before you're going to reach for the stick, you know, right. reach, reach for the hand. It's got to get that bad. That's right. Okay. So at your best. So when you, because a lot of people have felt that. So I'm really glad you brought up that word paralyzed because that is what the fear can feel like sometimes is that I can't. People can't speak or they lose their words in front of executives. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> it just, it just won't come out because the brain's been hijacked and you can't reach your prefrontal oh, cortex. So yes. that in that fear of making mistakes, you just don't, you just don't start. Right. So I think paralyzed is a perfect word for it. So at your best, what would you say you were doing? Well, I'm closer to a 10 at my best. <laughs> and like you said, I don't live at a 10. That's just no. impossible, right? <laughs> like, you know, I just started this new job of day one. I was a one, like, oh my God. <laughs> what have I gotten myself into? And now I'm somewhere in the middle and I'm in that learning phase, right? Asking for help. And those are the things. It's like doing those things to, to shift yourself, asking for help. Like going in and, 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 and researching the things that I need to research, writing things down. I take really good notes. I, I go, it's almost like being in school again. I study those notes. Um, what do I need to do to prepare myself for the day? I like to be prepared. So I, I have to set up systems and processes in my own personal life and in my professional life that can, can transition me from that one closer to that 10. Oh, that is so good. And I know you've said this a couple of times now, and I just want to make sure people heard it asking for help. Yes. It's a life changer. And I even say things to my team and people around me. If you see me doing this, you have my permission to engage. Like I, I can't be, I can't do this by myself. Right. So if there are things that I'm doing that aren't working for you, you see them, they're not working for me. Like, let me know. Because oftentimes when, you know, when you lead a big organization or you have a fancy title, people stop telling you the truth. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they're afraid that if you say something that hurts, you know, my feelings, then I'm going to be upset. Those are the people, honestly, that I trust the most around me. 
you know, I want to have people who say, when I say, how did I do? Well, actually you could have done a little better here. You know, it's hard to hear, but that's how you, that's how you get from a one to a 10 people who help you grow. So definitely asking for help is a superpower and it can be really hard to learn, but it's so beneficial. So Ebony, for those people who work with these executives who might not be as evolved as you are when it comes to <laughs> vulnerability and saying, hey, I need you to, you know, you'll probably prompt people. No, I need you to push back on me. I need you to ask these questions. A lot of executives don't do that. But even though they still benefit, they still know they benefit from it and they want it. They just forget to say it. You know? So for, for people who get paralyzed with fear when it comes to those well-meaning executives who just aren't inviting in inviting the questions. Um, and you and I both know those executives want people to show up confidently. They don't want to have to take care of their ego. But frankly, those executives are afraid that if they do tell the person to do something differently, that person's going to freak out. Mm -hmm. And so what would you tell? What do you want the people to know? Not who are necessarily coming to you because you've already answered that, but who are going to I, I don't know, maybe it's a woman who's going to be talking to a man who's older or different race than her or, you know, and there's this fear that he's so different from me or he won't get it or I can't be real. Like, what would, yeah. what do you advise them? <laughs> well, one, I get it. Um, and I know that speaking with executives can, can seem really intimidating or scary, but I think the key is to remember that we're just people, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not that scary. Um, but I do liken it to like double dutch, <laughs> like in that two, you have two jump ropes. You're like, one's going one way, one's going another way. When do I get in? You're like, should I go? Should I not go? Should I say something? Should I not say something? <laughs> like, I don't know. Are my feet going to get tangled up? Am I going to fall on my bum? Like what is going to happen right now? Am I only going to make one jump and then I'm, you know, out, but you just got to do it. You got to throw yourself in there. Um, so for me, I've had to learn how to get comfortable with feeling, you know, uncomfortable and then inserting my voice into the conversation. I've had to also learn not to take people's reactions personally with what I have to say. Like they might agree, they might not agree or barely even acknowledge my point sometimes. And that's all okay. I've been in meetings where I've inserted myself. I had like, had to pump myself up and say something. And like, it feels like everybody looks at you and then they move on to the next point. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I have to tell you, actually, when I first joined, um, Mark's executive leadership team, we had, a, I remember we had a one-on-one -on -one and I was asking for feedback. And one of the things he said is, remember, these people are your peers now. Um, and, you know, you can have the courage to speak up. And, and he said, because guess what? We all say stupid things. Mm. <laughs> and just him saying that, I was like, yeah, you're right. I've heard a, I've heard a lot of interesting things in, in meetings <laughs> I've been in. I won't call them stupid, but, you know, everybody has that moment. And, and to learn to laugh at myself, I'm like, oh, I guess that one didn't land. Or sometimes the, it is sinking in for people, you know? So you may, you may think you're getting a, an adverse reaction, but the person, like I sometimes wrinkle my face when I'm thinking. And so if I'm not smiling, people think I'm upset, but really I'm like, huh. And then I notice an idea maybe months from now, you know, that has taken root that I, you know, that I pitched before. So you never know how things are, are landing for people. That advice to not think, take things personally is just so huge. And your metaphor of double dutch, I freaking love that because <laughs> Once you get in, it's fun. It's fun. 
<laughs> Even if you mess up, you get back up. You're like, okay, let me try again. Let me try again. Right. And I'm pretty sure <laughs> nobody's died doing double dutch. I'm I haven't researched sure. that, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure. <laughs> so you, your ego may get wounded a little bit, like you said, but then you can manage that. You can manage that with your beliefs. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, we'll see. You know, right. I said, and reward yourself for, you know, for having the courage to say something and jump I tried. in. Exactly. I tried. All right. I know I need to let you go, but is there anything, anything else you want to tell us that uh, I haven't asked you or anything that you wish you knew now that you'd known? You've already told me a lot of things that you um, know now that you hadn't known that you would have liked to know earlier, but anything else you want to say before we end? Yeah. You know, I think one thing I wish I'd known earlier um, that comes to mind is that your job is not your identity. And I, I think of this in a couple of ways. The first is around authenticity. And I, and I love to tell the story of when I was working in the banking industry and I'd wear boxy brown suits to blend in with the men and I had fake glasses. So I would be older looking. Um, and, I, and I spent a lot of time trying to fit in. It was really exhausting. And it really took me a while to realize that the, the leaders and the people that I admired the most were the ones who weren't afraid to be themselves, the ones who put themselves out there um, and actually Salesforce was a turning point for me in my career because I decided I was going to bring my full self and I ended up working for this fantastic woman. And this is how you and I met. I wore, you know, I, I was girly and I was myself and I wore my hair down and I wore something I felt good in and it made all the difference. So that's the first part. And then the second piece is, I think it just goes back to taking those risks. And, and I just think that, you know, having the courage to change and do something different um, is so empowering. You know, I can look back and go like, I stuck my landing. I did it. I had the courage to try. Um, and I didn't hold myself back from anything. So those are the two things that I wish I'd known a little bit earlier for myself. It's just like, be authentic and don't be afraid to take risk. That is so beautiful. And I just want to remind people, courage is not the absence of, absence of fear. We are always going to have fear. That is what your brain's job main job is, is to make you afraid. So you stay on the couch and don't hurt yourself outside on the sidewalk. Like, that's what your brain is doing. So courage is say, I'm going to do it anyways. That's right. I'm going to jump in, even though I'm afraid. So we're going to end on that. And I thank you so, so much. And we'll put all the yummy links to um, boss notes, boss talks, all that, whatever, whatever um, you think would be good for us to link to. And I just want to thank you so much for spending this time with us. And I hope you get a nap today. <laughs> I <will> try. <laughs> Thanks, Denise. Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed that. Ebony gave us so many gems that I just wanna do a little wrap up for you. We talked about several of the shifts you have to make if you wanna go from that place she talked about of being paralyzed in fear, which was a negative on my one to 10 scale. That paralyzation where you can't even speak, you can't take any positive actions, and you're consumed with fear so much that it feels like there's an elephant sitting on your chest. So the strategies you need to get out of that that we talked about were going from an expert to thinking you had to have all the answers to radical curiosity. I love that phrase she brought. She also talked about how it took her way too long to realize that she had to operate from her authentic self and her authentic strengths instead of trying to conform. Now, of course, um, Ebony and everybody else has to adapt to organizations, but not conform. You can't lose yourself if you want to soar and really have peace and joy and fun at work. 
and we talked about strategic laziness. And I'm telling you, if this woman can take naps, then you can do it too. And I will put links in for uh, the strategies I use, the tools that I use to help me sleep. But the most important shift I think she talked about was getting help. She was courageous enough and wise enough to know that she could not pull herself out of quicksand. It's like trying to operate on yourself. It doesn't work. And that is why you can consume so many books, so many YouTube videos, and still not change. And that is because in order to accept and use a strategy, a smart strategy, you have to first have a state that will allow it and a story about yourself that is congruent with it. And when you do that, you can do the seemingly impossible. And I love to watch this happen. I love this moment when women's, vi well, I work with women, but men too. So when people's vibrational level rises from above fear, because if you are stuck in a state of terror, you're not gonna try one of these strategies at your next executive meeting. It's gonna feel like career suicide. But once you can get to that level of desire to do better or courage, that simple step will allow you to now use a strategy that is going to work because you also have an identity story. So instead of that, I'm not good enough story, you have another belief that works for you. Maybe that belief wouldn't work for somebody else, but it works for you. And here's what happens when I see women make this shift and the belief lands and their state changes. They go from having a face that is like frozen in terror and um, in, in tremendous pain. They go from that to their shoulders drop, their face relaxes, and a smile emerges all the way up to their eyes. And just one quick example, because this just happened yesterday. Um, a woman told me what work has been like since she made the shift and got this new belief and changed her state. She went from thinking she had to be the expert and have all the answers to going into meetings with radical curiosity, like Betty, like uh, Ebony talked about. And it has changed her life so much. She not only got her weekends back, on those weeks where she has to give executive presentations, she was working, she was working at least 80 hours a week. She's now working 50. That's 30 hours that she cut out of her, of her uh, work week. And she's having fun. So when Ebony talked about double dutch, whatever is fun for you, uh, and whatever's not fun for you, you, you have to decide. Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com.